Hey Stargate fans, welcome to the companion Skaters Gonna Rate with Joseph Malozzi and me, George Moll, a dedicated Stargate journalist. We've got a great episode in store for you, featuring behind-the-scenes insights with writer and exec producer Joe, a very special guest talking about how he took Jason Momoa from someone who'd never thrown a punch before to throwing all the punches as a Hollywood action star. And of course, we're counting down the top five hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes in Stargate as voted by you, the fans. But before we get started, I just want to let you know that if you like this podcast and want to hear more episodes, more from Joe, more exciting guests both in and around Stargate, then please let us know. You can do this by commenting on the Apple website, tweeting at the Companion app, leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, or just grabbing people in the street and telling them. I mean, don't do that. Keep two meters apart. Come on, guys. Also, I should let you know that this is very much a pilot episode, and we've not been able to access our studio, so it's taken about 15 years and three supercomputers to MacGyver this recording, and it's a little bit rough around the edges. If this is something you want to hear more of, though, then when we go to series, we'll definitely do our best to improve on that. All that being said, please enjoy Gator's Gonna Rate. Hello and welcome to Gator's Gonna Rate, a companion podcast with writer, producer, showrunner, and apparent Time Lord. I don't know how you manage to fit everything that you do, um, but somehow he does. The illustrious Mr. Joe Malozzi. Illustrious. Hello, George. Illustrious. Thank, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you. Obviously, the majority of our listeners know you from co-creating Dark Matter, your work on Utopia Falls, and then obviously writer and executive producer of all three of the Stargate series. So it's very exciting to have you here as we count down the top five hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes in the entire franchise. So uh, we at the Companion sent out a poll to uh, fans across the internet, and we've tabulated and tallied them into a top five. We're going to go through them, read some companion comments, and then we've got a very special guest at the end of the podcast. Can't so I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, uh, for my own interest, but as both a writer and a fan of these things yourself, what is it you look for in an action scene? Is it a, is it a spectacle, some character moments? What makes a good one for you? Um, amazing choreography, memorable moments. Uh, you know, every fight change sort of had that one beat that um, really stands out. Uh, and of course, character. I mean, you tell the story, even though it's a fight sequence, it should reveal a lot about the character. I should also add something unexpected. If, if basically, right. if it's something I haven't seen before or just a curveball, all the better. Nice. Which, which I think, looking over these uh, these five, I think that they run the gambit of that, I think. And mm -hmm. I think Stargate's very, very good at having those sort of storytelling character moments, as well as also being very different types of fight scenes. Yeah, agreed. Uh, which brings us to the first number five, voted by fans, and that is the Ronan versus Michael fight in The Prodigal in Stargate Atlantis. You are not taking my son. Yes, Taylor. I am. That's the one where Michael and his hybrids invade Atlantis through the use of a puddle jumper and a rope stun bubble. Cutting off access to the gate, Michael was trying to take Taylor's baby as part of his crusade. And Ronan, who finds himself within the bubble, intervenes. They have a fight in the control room falls off the balcony, lands on the stairs, is incapacitated. That's the fight. That, that, that actually really ranks as one of, my, one of my top three, if not my top two. I just really? love the fact that um, uh, James Bamford was a stunt coordinator and uh, I believe Andy Makita was director. Yeah. The fact that they use uh, that full Atlantis set. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're up, they're down. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just... You know, just beautifully directed, beautifully choreographed. And um, just one of those showdowns you kind of been waiting for uh, all along. The Ronan-Michael showdown. And uh, it really delivers. Yeah, definitely. And it's not surprising, uh, I suppose, that the first thing we talk about is a fight scene with Ronan and Jessima Mubba, who is now a huge action star. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like working with him in sort of the early days of his career? It was interesting, you know, in that we were looking to add a new team member and Robert Cooper and I were both big Survivor fans. And there was a character called Rupert, this kind of right. colorful, um, uh, 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 kind of almost kind of mountain man uh, on, on the series. And <laughs> I was like, we need a Rupert, we need a Rupert. And, um, you yeah, know, we, we auditioned several actors and then we saw Jason. 
and not quite the character that Robin envisioned, but just a really interesting character all his own. And uh, he came on board and it just, just everything changed. I mean, you know, just a, 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 a fun guy to work with. He's always really a big kid. And, and I think you see that still in, in his interviews now. Yeah, um, you're just like a good hearted uh, guy, but also at the same time, a very serious actor. He would, you know, often come up to my office and, and pitch me ideas. Um, you know, a couple of the, of the episodes that, that I ended up writing seasons, I think four, four and five, um, uh, Broken Ties, um, you know, for one, uh, you know, they were, they were episodes that, uh, really were inspired by him. And, um, and, and so, I mean, he, you know, he, you see him as kind of the larger than life star he is today, but, uh, you should know he's, he, he takes his craft very seriously. Mm, yeah. And I think, I think that comes across as mm-hmm. well, as you say, when hearing him sort of talk about it, even if it's a role that people might think is mainly physical but like the intricacies that he has to have within that i mean obviously his work in game mm-hmm. of thrones is he's speaking a completely different language yeah but he gives you everything that you need just in his physicality mm-hmm. and with um the fight with michael was it always going to be because this the episode has a number of great fight scenes uh yeah. in it uh, and obviously the the climactic fight is with michael and joe flanagan and then on the on the top of the sort of precipice was there ever discussion of there being you know the end of michael's arc being at the hands of you know taylor versus ronan or no it absolutely had to be taylor in, yeah. in our mind because he was almost an existential threat to to everything you know her her her, her the life she had you know uh she she had built for herself on atlantis her child um, so it, ultimately it really had to be her that ended things. And she does by Hans Grubering him off the... Yes, or so we assume. I, I, I know uh, Connor Trenier um, in, in, in subsequent interviews was like, well, is he, is he really dead? That's one of the <laughs> nice things about, to come back yeah, about sci-fi. No one ever really dies in sci-fi, so yeah. who knows? It's, it's the Samuel Jackson. You didn't see most Windu fall. Like, right, right. Yeah, I can come back. Uh, let's move on to number four. Mm-hmm. So number four, it's a Stargate SG-1 episode, The Warrior. I die free. You die at the hand of your god. Which sees uh, Tilk challenge Imhotep, a minor gold posing as a, a would-be leader of the Free Jafar. Uh, this episode, we actually have our first comment from a companion member. So this is from John F, who says that nothing beats the slow-motion Matrix stab from Tilk or Katana in the Warrior. The decision to use Gapora was so strong, it really set the Free Jafar faction apart from anyone else in the show. I'm also a huge fan of Tilk yelling Deceiver before challenging Katana. That was me yeah. trying to do my best. Chris, I don't have the yes. base. Chris Tanny, I, I, I close my eyes and I see Chris. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was actually quite a fight as well. That was Dan Shea, our longtime uh, SG-1 coordinator, and uh, director Peter Deloise. Uh, I'd like to say the lovely and talented director Peter Deloise. <laughs> and uh, yeah, very much the capoeira, the kind of the slow-mo style. It's interesting in that, um, you know, it's a top five fight because it's, it's the way it's shot is beautifully shot. And uh, the choreography is great, but it's really a one-sided fight. Teal gets that, that, that beat down until the very end where he kind of pull, pulls the Rob Roy, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, snatching uh, victory from the uh, jaws of defeat. You know, you would think, uh, given how quick Imhotep was, he might have seen it coming, but alas, luckily for Teal, he did not. Yeah. It's interesting that John brings up um, factions and sort of fighting styles, because every sort of definitive group in Stargate had their own way of fighting, whether it's, you know, the Jafar being a little bit more maybe gladiatorial, the Tok'ra with their guerrilla tactics, the Asgard who I assume just sit and get other people to do it for them. Uh When you come to um, writing action scenes, whether in Stargate or in other shows that you've done, do you put much uh, detail in the script in the manner in which they fight? Is it a a one-line action sues or do you you know, lay out the beats and the styles of it all? It really depends. If there are certain uh, moments you want to see, things you want to accomplish, you will put them in the shot direction. But for the most part, 
you if you trust your stunt coordinator, which I've, I I have over the course of my career, you entrust them to tell the story. So um, more often than not, it's actually a minimal description. You 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 essentially, you know, you 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 write the shot direction, whatever they fight, and then you have a subsequent conversation with the stunt coordinator and, you know, tell him what you're looking for. They will uh, bring ideas to you. And, and, and after that, you just kind of let them go and, and, you know, hopefully be pleasantly surprised. So um, with the, uh, sort of the matrix, like we spoke a little bit earlier about, mm -hmm. um, you had, there was a special rig for shooting that. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, again, you know, th th this is a conversation you have with the director, but it was actually a, 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 a rig that allowed you a 360 turn in, and, and I think we used it for this fight sequence, but we also used it earlier on in the episode. It was the first time, I believe the last time we used it, I think it was somewhat cumbersome, but uh, the results were, visual results were spectacular. Yeah, definitely. What I really like about it is earlier on in the episode when you see the, uh, the two of them training beforehand and he talks about how Katano is all about, you know, strike hard, strike fast, no mercy. And it's, and then you get to that and you bring out that rig and it is, this guy moves super fast and it's, yeah, just by the skin of his teeth and still managed yeah. to, as you say, do the Rob Roy <laughs> and get him out of it. And moving on to number three. We're going back to Stargate Atlantis with and to Ronan Dex. Uh, this time his fight with the Uber race in um, Cicada, or as he's building the episode, Pig Race. They made a sport out of trying to kill him in the past. He was the one that got away. I believe they would try again. Ronan will not go down easily. Big Wraith? Big Wraith in the credits. Yeah. I was wondering if there's a in the credits. Yeah. Big Wraith, which is apt. He's like six foot four. Yeah. Which, if, any, if anything is big, it's that. This is, now, this is a very interesting fight sequence in that, um, I mean, like the, the, the previous one we discussed, it's fairly one sider. Ronan gets his, his ass kicked. Uh, there's a fair amount of uh, wire work, you will notice, in it where, where Ronan gets flung across uh, the area. We were shooting in an, in an area called Terminal City um, back then, which, which would always kind of substitute as a, a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, so, you know, it's interesting when you compare that uh, Michael... Uh, Ronan fight sequence, which was kind of very down and dirty, to this fight sequence, which is almost uh, superhuman, and and you know it, I think it's a testament to the fine work of stunt coordinator James Bamford that he's able to pull off both styles. Um, you know, it, it, it's 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 an interesting uh, battle. One of the things we, we you know, kind of talk about is is you get those. Um, touchstone beats like mm. catching the fist stopping the right. fists yeah uh, you know the uh, uh you're getting flung you know uh, you know seven or eight feet across into the uh into the garage door uh yeah. and uh it's it's uh it, you know another really standout uh fight sequence yeah, if ever there was a shorthand for how tough or bad your antagonist is, is if he can manage to grab the punch of the yes. previously strongest person in the team. And then, That's, yeah, as you say, hold, hold them across. Yeah. Uh, and always aspire to win a fight, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, and there's a lot of really great fights in this episode. It's, um, mm -hmm. I'm not surprised this, this moment won, but because it's after, obviously, he's back on Cicada, he's running again, and he's mm -hmm. just fighting wave after wave after wave. And it starts with one guy, and there's three of them, and then there's 25 of them. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's upping the ante. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great showdown. Um, it's one of the, one of the slowest uh, drones uh, <laughs> I think I've ever seen <laughs> on film at the, the final shot where, where you take out the uh, big rape, as you call him. With yeah. that drone, he lies kind of draped over the drone, kind of yeah. slowly exits uh, <laughs> a shot. And it's also, I think it's also one of the, you talk about the Michael conclusion had to always be Taylor. I really love that you've got a Ronan moment of, you know, the person who gave him the, the tracker and then it goes back to his home planet. 
Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. a really great character moment for character who could easily just be the sort of tough guy of the group. Right. And then flashing back between, you know, his current running and his his sense of guilt that, oh no, I have to do this for the people on the planet. And then flashing back to the life that will be left behind. And that was yeah. the very first game. It's an interesting and it's an atypical end to the to the fight sequence, because usually in these fight sequences you would expect, you know, like the Rob Roy moment where the the hero, right. beaten down hero manages to turn the tables but yeah in this moment it's Carson Beckett it's who Carson, takes out yeah. and and you know in, in a way it's it's really appropriate because at this point you know Ronan has made kind of the move from runner to a member of a team so it really is appropriate mm-hmm. that a team member renders that assist and it's kind of a nice moment yeah. at the end where you know he in, in his own way thanks uh, Carson. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that's something that they they really bring up really well early on in the episode when the Daedalus is initially reluctant to to go to the planet, and then mm-hmm. you've got Shepard, you know, being like, "No, he's a member of my team." And Taylor yeah. has that whole conversation about how it shows me how far you'll go for someone who isn't from your world, mm-hmm. uh, which is and it's also the episode in which McKay gets shot on the ass by an arrow. Yeah. Right, so that's what it's really well known for. Yes, yeah. Obviously. Uh, Moving on to number two is a very different kind of fight scene. We spoke about how um, many on this list run the gambit. And this Mm -hmm. is the fight in Prometheus Unbound when we're first introduced to uh, Vala. I wish to send a long-range transmission using the communication systems. Sorry, don't have a clue. You lie. Oh! Ow. Should I kiss it better? You're a fruitcake. I want to call it a fight. It's also partly a flirt in the... Yeah, flirt fighting. Flirt fighting. Now, kudos to, to Robert Cooper because he was the one who oversaw this episode and remember him telling our stunt coordinator, Dan Shea, he goes, I want this fight down and dirty. And, uh, and, and you know, he kind of tweaked the dialogue in, in the scene to kind of give it a, a, a bit of fun. And... It was just a wonderful way to introduce the Bella character okay. and, uh, and, and really establish the kind of relationship that she would end up having with Daniel. Uh, so, I mean, that's a great example of a, of a fight that tells a story. It's not just a fight, but it reveals character and it foreshadows as well. Yeah, and, and a fight that I think, obviously, as much work goes into that fight as any other one, but that one is played sort of stronger for laughs and it's great physical comedy. Yeah. So you've got, um, you know, Michael Shanks scurrying on the floor yeah. and then turning around and scurrying back the other way. And, and as you say, the Claudia Black coming in and just what a electric presence on the yeah. screen for her. Like yeah. really, I mean, I must imagine that she and Michael Shanks had so much fun making that and their chemistry is obviously yeah. palpable. Was there discussions after that episode about her reprising the role? Maybe not. Maybe you didn't know if it was going to be a, a regular in 9 and 10, but that character coming back. Yeah, I mean, um, Rob knew I was a big Farscape fan and I'd kind of been wanting right. to, 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 um, to, to cast both Ben and Claudia. And I remember him showing me the script and he was like, uh, I'm thinking uh, Claudia Black. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. And then Richard Ian Anderson, over the course of kind of the, uh, as she once ran, he, he was wanting to spend more time with his daughter. So the character of O'Neill, his presence was lessened somewhat uh, to the point where after season seven, we decided, well, maybe we could come back for the occasional guest appearance, but we need to find someone else to, to fill his mm-hmm. shoes. And I automatically thought of Ben. And, uh, and, and so Sci-Fi was on board. And, um, and Ben ended, ended up watching 300 episodes of MSG <laughs> or whatever, uh, only 200 to prepare for the role. Uh, and the plan was to make him and the Vala character, or, you know, the Cameron Mitchell character and the Vala character, uh, series regulars in season, in season nine. Um, and uh, the network balked and they said, no, it's too much like Farscape, which was ridiculous because Claudia's character was completely different uh, uh, from Aaron soon. So um, we said, fine. So we, we gave her a six uh, episode um, deal for uh, season nine. And after that first episode, the network called us and, and said, okay, we changed our mind. Is there any way to make yeah. a season regular? <laughs> but at that point, the, the ship had already sailed. And so we said, look, 
you know, she'll be a, a guest star for season nine. But if you would like to see her as a series regular <laughs> for season 10, A, pick up season 10. Right. And uh, we'd yeah. be happy to do so. And so that's, that's how she became a regular for season 10. Yeah. And it must have been fun having like such a different dynamic uh, yeah. as well with her and the team. So far removed from, obviously, you know, she's an outsider like Hiltworth, but a completely different kind of. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Yes. And just kind of a limit. fun, a very fun character to write for. And then, yeah. you know, you could always count on Claudia to sort of deliver that, that humor. So, you know, loved having her uh, on, on the show. Yeah. And why do you think, um, as I say, it's interesting that this is the, this is the one fight that sort of skews more comedic. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it's more difficult for, quote unquote, comedy action scenes? Because obviously lots of times there's like funny asides or one-liners, but you rarely get a, a physical comedy sort of yeah, fight I think, shows. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's more difficult. It's certainly different because um, the flow of the fight sequence is very different. I mean, there are, you know, a, a, in most of the fight sequences we see, it's, 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 you know, strike, counter-strike, strike, counter-strike, you know, big, you know, big punch, you know, rise up, uh, and, and there's a fluidity to it. And this one, there's almost a staccato nature to it. It's all about the beats. It's all about, you know, um, uh, Daniel throwing that punch and, and, and hitting the circuit board, uh, her, uh, hitting him with the, the uh, with extinguisher. the uh, uh, extinguisher, him slowly rising with her, you know, you know, with her, uh, you know, legs wrapped around his, uh, you know, like like Prue in, in, in uh, Blade Runner, um, you know, the uh, the that final headbutt at the end. It's it's all made up of, you know, you know, moments that 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 we really stand out and 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 um, you know really make it a memorable fight sequence for the, for those reasons. I love that you mentioned Blade Runner because that was literally in my notes that it's just yeah. like when, when yeah. Chris is on uh, I'm sure that was the inspiration stories. for that particular move. And were those, were those, you said that uh, obviously Robert C. Cooper oversaw a lot of that, that mm-hmm. fight scene. Do you know if those were sort of like specific, like those like beats and sort of staccato moments were things that he sort of put uh, into it or? That I'm not sure. I, I think... You know, I, I know that he was very particular about what he wanted to see with the fight sequence. I remember telling Dan Shea, stunt coordinator, I want it down and dirty. And I think, you know, more than likely, Dan came up with a lot of the moves and then ran them by, by Rob. And Rob may have tweaked some or, or, yeah. or added a few. But, uh, you know, uh, it was Rob's vision, but very much Dan Shea's execution. And he spoke about the the fight flirting or the flirting fight. Mm-hmm. Is that just the entirety of Daniel and Vala's relationship? Uh, initially, but I mean, you know, it, th- there was that, that, that moment in uh, actually the episode I wrote, I think it was Memento Mori where, where she, she loses her memory and, and, and Daniel comes for her at the end. And they have that, that moment where, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a parallel to Ronan and the fact that he was on the run for so long and alone. Mm-hmm. And now he has family and and very much you know with her it's it's basically her realization that you know she can stop running and that she can she she has friends she can support uh, who can su- who will support her she has family and this is something I always keep coming back to in sci-fi that really great sci-fi you know in its heart is about family whether it's the crew of the Enterprise or Team SG One or the Atlantis Expedition or the crew of the Raza. Uh, you know, they, they, they may be, you know, very, you know, kind of disparate, um, uh, you know, some, somewhat, um, um, you know, very different in, in, in many ways mm. um, and, and will often clash. But at the end of the day, they, 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 they are a family of sorts. They always have each other's backs. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's what's, I think that's very evident on the shows that you, you work on. And the ones that you cited as well, like, you know, Star Trek, how it's all... Mm. You look at the the triumvirate, and it's you know it's the ethos, you know, pathos and logos. Yeah. It's all the, the the elements that are you know in all of us, and that's what makes these mm. characters and their their interactions all so great. But we um, we've got a few honourable mentions before we move on to uh, the number one. Sure. So I'm going to read through some of them. We've got some comments. If you want to jump in and uh, and talk about some of them, please feel free. So these are from fans, of course, in there, and companion members as well. Mm-hmm. We've got the Taylor versus Ray fight in Suspicion in the first season of Atlantis. Yeah. Five. Uh, we've got the um, 
the long goodbye in Stargate Atlantis, the Elizabeth versus the SG team. Oh, that's another one. That's an interesting one, and that is a very atypical fight. Do you want to talk about it? Um, yeah, I mean, well, well, the first one, I, I, you know, I, I, um, uh, Rachel Luttrell is not only a, a, a fantastic uh, actress, but, um, you know, she's a trained dancer. And, and uh, you know, you can see that in the fluidity of her movement um, in those uh, fight sequences. And, you know, as much as Jason was, you know, really took to his action sequences, um, uh, Rachel did just yeah, such a wonderful job in hers. Remember that was, uh, that was season one, wasn't it? Suspicion? Yeah, season yeah, one. Season one, episode five. So it was early yeah. in the run. And then, then the other one is 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 again. I, I just kind of like those um, atypical fight sequences where I mean, uh, you would not expect uh, Tori Higginson, aka yeah. Elizabeth Weir, to be able to throw down, and yet she does. When and yet she does. You know, she ends up being possessed by these. Uh, alien uh, uh, entity. And, uh, you know, that's another one. I mean, kudos to James uh, Bamford, aka Bam Bam, uh, for, 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 you know, always, always, I guess, um, rising up to the challenge and coming up with something new, something, something mm -hmm. visually unique in all of his uh, fight sequences. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps new people find the show, and it really is the best way to support us. In fact, Stargate and Traveler showrunner Brad Wright has joined the companion as a writer and now podcast host. So leave a review, and he'll know you're hungry for more, such as an interview with Dr. Daniel Jackson himself, Michael Shanks. To make sure you don't miss out on any of our announcements, you can sign up to our newsletter by clicking the link in the show notes, and follow us on Twitter, at the Companion app. At number one, this has been voted the definitive and the definite. Okay. It's been proved, it's been proved by science. I think I already know what it's going to be, but please do do hit me. It is the Ronan versus Tilk sparring match in mm. Midway. How long have they been at it? About an hour or so. An hour? Not even taking any breaks. Well, they are now. I don't think that's such a good idea. Season four, episode 17, it's the big sort of fan sort of grudge moment. It's the, the Batman v Superman, the Alien it's, versus Predator. It's the, the fight. It's, it's the battle that the fans have been asking for, and we finally give it to them in Midway. And so, and so you knew that they it was like a big thing for fans and the internet to be like, oh, yeah. These guys have yeah. to meet and they have to throw down. And yes, yes. It was, uh, you know, uh, Fans were discussing it. Who would win, Ronan or Teal? And uh, we wondered ourselves. So we wrote the scene and, and let them fight it out. And was there ever, was the idea something that you were initially wary of because it was such a big sort of, obviously in the episode itself, it's a tie, so you don't have to fall mm. down on it smartly either way and upset half the internet. But was there ever a, a wariness of, of doing that moment, you know? No, no, not at all. I mean... Teal had his fans, Ronan had, had his fans. And in our minds, I just, you know, it wouldn't have made sense for one to win over the other. So going in knowing that they would fight to a draw was, you know, more than enough reason to do it. And what do you think are the key differences sort of character-wise between Ronan and Silk in terms of, obviously they're both the sort of the analogous sort of strong men of their, mm -hmm. of their mm -hmm. respective teams. But yeah. um, what do you think are the sort of the keys of underlining differences between them that make them stand uh, apart? You know, Ronan, I mean, their fighting styles leading up to this uh, duel are very different. You know, Ronan is, is more sort of flying fists and, and, uh, and elbows and, you know, kind <laughs> of down and dirty, whereas as Teal is very much is, is almost a nice sort of an Asian influence to, and, uh, to his, to his fighting style. Also, Ronan as a character was certainly more, I think, colorful. I'm not saying Teal wasn't colorful, but Teal was more staid. And so you actually see some of that in the fight sequence, the way Ronan takes the fight to Teal and goes at him. And, and you know, there's, there's that instance where, where uh, Carter separates them and then Ronan goes after him with like two or three punches and yeah. then... Teal'c responds with a with a punch of his own that just drops uh, uh, Ronan, and and you know they just seem like 
you know, moments in the fight sequence, but they really speak to their characters. Yeah, definitely. Was there ever, do you know, between the, uh, the actors themselves of being, uh, you know, I've got to win this, or what do you mean we draw? Can you not make me win? Can you not make him win? No, no. Um, I did ask Chris once before Albina wrote, wrote this episode who would win in a fight because the fans, the fans wanted to know. And he said, oh, Ronan for sure. You know, he knows all that cool stuff that Bam Bam uh, taught him. And, and well, you know, Tilik is doing kind of the, the more, uh, you know, kind of poetic uh, uh, fighting. Was there ever, because it comes, obviously, it's after the end of SG-1. Was there ever mm-hmm. discussions of it happening earlier in the run or... Or was there just uh, no, this is something that we're gonna have to wait and like be a treat? Yeah, I don't recall it uh, ever. I mean, I think in the very early going, in the very early uh, seasons of Atlanta's run, we were somewhat reticent to do a crossover because we wanted right. to really yeah. establish Atlantis as its own uh, you know, series before mm-hmm. moving on to crossovers. Yeah, which I think it does tremendously well. And as you say, mm-hmm. between Ronan and Silkston Stars, they might, on the surface, you might sort of look at them and be as though, mm-hmm. oh, this is just the analogous on, you know, Atlantis versus SG-1. But they are, you know, very different and they do stand apart, which I think is like that. Mm-hmm. Atlantis does so well for what could have been, you know, SG-1 with a shinier coat of paint. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I think it would have done a very well job for making it its own thing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned how the fight with Ronan and Michael is possibly in your top three fights. Mm-hmm. What is your number one? Do you know? You know, I, I reviewed various fight sequences and going in, I assumed it would be the, the Michael-Ronan uh, throwdown. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from the review, I mean, I, I, I can't give it to either the Tilk Imhotep or the Big Wraith Ronan fight sequence right. because they're, they're not really fight sequence so much as beatdowns, as impressive yes. as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I have to tell you, as much as I, I love the Ronan-Tilk uh, uh, duel, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think is amazing, uh, I find the other two much more memorable. And like I said, I thought going in that I, it would be that Michael Ronan fight scene just because I love the way they use every level of, of that Atlantis yeah. game room. But um, re-watching it, I love the humor of the, uh, of the Daniel Valla fight sequence. And so, to be honest with you, that probably is my favorite fight sequence uh, yeah. in the Stargate franchise. I have to agree. Really? I, yeah, I thought watching them that it would be the it would be the sparring match that the rest of the fans voted because it is just that big sort of wish fulfillment, like great sort of moment. Yep. But I was watching Free This Unbound and yeah, it's just, it's, you never see that sort of fight scene that often in, in any show. Claudia and Michael are so great in it, just the whole yeah. episode as well. Yeah, and there's just such like a life and an energy to it. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really love. And as you say, there's, you know, the Big Ray fight is, it is a beatdown. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other fights in that episode that have like, really more sort of intricate choreography that are really good. But as you say, it's the moment of, you know, Jason getting thrown about and uh, getting mm-hmm. pummeled by the big wraith. But no, right. I think, yeah, I was watching them uh, recently and yeah, that comedy fight scene is so much fun. Wow, we're in agreement. Well, that's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've obviously got amazing taste. Yes, obviously. <laughs> so now all my subsequent Stargate opinions, I can be like, well, Joe <laughs> Malozzi agreed with me on the Viola Daniel fight. Exactly. So. You, get, you have a free pass from now on. Exactly. Yeah. Do, do what you will. <laughs> and since we're talking about hand-to-hand combat scenes for Gator's going to rate, and the number one is a fight that this gentleman worked on, we have a very special guest that Joe kindly invited to the show. He's worked on X-Men movies, Watchmen, Arrow. He's a director in his own right now the stunt coordinator, fight choreographer, and director, James Bam Bam Bamford. Hi, James. Hi, how are you? Very good. Very happy to see you. Very happy to have you. Thanks for having me. This is lovely. I haven't been to England for a while, so this is a great way to visit. <laughs> yeah. So as a, a stunt coordinator on Stargate Atlantis, you had a hand in three of the top five as voted by the fans, which must be pretty great. Um, makes me happy to hear that. All of them, uh, we had a great time putting together. So, so obviously the, you worked on the number one. We'll get to the other ones, but Ronan V. Tilk, do you think that's mm-hmm. a, a worthy one to get the one spot? The sparring match? Um, sparring match between Ronan yeah. and Tilk, yeah. You know what? And, and here's 
here's a reason why for me that it, that it would be both the actors performed uh, that fight 100% themselves without stunt doubles. Um, so when we were on set and I was, re I was recalling this when I was reviewing the fight last night, um, when we were on set on Atlantis, we used to shoot at, at a location called Terminal City um, quite often. And uh, we were shooting there and I insisted uh, that Chris Judge um, attend rehearsals uh, because he was going to be involved in this fight. And, and I called him and I, and I just let him know that I wanted him to be proud of himself uh, that he had, you know, performed this whole fight sequence um, himself without the use of a stunt double. And he agreed with me, he said, you know, I'd, I'd really, I'd really like to take this challenge and, and jump into it. And, and I said, I'm going to be getting you to move probably at a rate that, you know, you're not used to. Uh, so be prepared for, you know, come warm and stretched and ready to ready to go. Um, and I've been training Jason Momoa for, you know, what season was it, Joe? That that fight? Um, uh, I want to say season season four. Four? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I'd been with Jason. Came to us season two, so uh, he'd been training with me for for uh, you know at least two years. So he had the advantage of of sort of knowing my methods. And uh, I had started choreographing the fight with Jason, just he and I, and then I was performing the tilk position. So that by the time we plugged in Chris, uh, the, the fight was pretty much choreographed. So he just had to learn the, learn the movements. And uh, Jason was already, unfortunately for Chris, Jason was already up to full speed. So um, I had to take him aside. I, I memorized both sides of the fight. Back then you didn't have a lot of assistance and a full team of, you know, rehearsal folk uh, as we do now on some of the larger shows. So it was just me and uh, the actors sort of putting it together. So I performed all of Jason's movements when I first started rehearsing with Chris and I'd have to demonstrate to him his, you know, staff technique and, and, and whatnot. And uh, it was really fun. He really, he just came to work and he worked incredibly hard and, and he picked it up quite quickly. And I got him to a point with uh, myself uh, before I got him together with Jason's that I, you know, I was certain that he'd be safe to start stepping up the pace because Jason would quite often, even if we were going at a, what I like to call slow with flow pace, you know, to, to smooth it out to begin with, he would always kind of ramp it up uh, pretty quickly. He, he'd, he'd uh, which was, which would, which is a key to making a fight sequence look, you know, taking it from looking like it's choreography and, into the position where it looks like an, an actual fight. So the the timing and the speed and the aggression and Momoa would immediately apply all those things as soon as he felt comfortable that he knew the you know choreography, which was very, very fast. He would start applying those things. So if you put somebody in the you know ring with him, that they had better be ready to go, whether they're a stunt person or 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 another actor. So I wanted to prep Chris. He got ready. And putting the two of them together was just like magic. It was, uh, uh, once it happened, it was, it was natural. Um, and Jason had performed a lot of fight sequences by that time. So, you know, they really worked well with each other and give and take. But the interesting thing about it is there was a little bit of that competition as in the show, as yeah. in their characters. Because they're both that guy from, you know, either show. They're both the warrior and uh, they're both representing, even though we were all under the same umbrella, the same company, essentially, um, the, you know, we were Atlantis over here, Team Atlantis <laughs> and Team SG-1 over here. And both of them were like, you know, we, we were talking. And, and, and I, one of the first questions, I asked Brad Wright and I probably asked you, Joe, I think I asked all of you is, well, who would win? You know, like I, because the actors are going, are going to ask me this, which well, they did like it, immediately. It's funny you mentioned that 
because I remember when we first floated the idea of this uh, fight sequence, I asked Chris who would win. And he said, Ronan would win. He's doing all that cool, uh, you know, all the, all the cool stuff that James taught him. Whereas, uh, you know, Teal'c is doing that wushu stuff. Uh, and so I have to say, it's a beautiful, you know, piece of choreography. Uh, Jason is as fantastic as always, but I have to say, it's amazing how you brought Chris's fighting prowess to that level because even he uh, seemed somewhat uh, uncertain, I felt, when we first floated the idea. He, he was, when he showed up, he was like, I've, I'm a football player. I, 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 don't, I don't do this. Uh, and I was like, don't worry. Um, Jason hadn't thrown a punch ever when I met him. So he's just, you know, athletic. I said, you're athletic, you'll pick it up. I'm gonna go over some choreography and, and uh, I'll find out what your strengths are and we'll work on those. And that's what we did. And I mean, it's the same thing I did with Stephen Amell. It's the same sort of methodology that I've applied to, to any actor that wasn't a martial artist, you know? Um, and uh, if you'll notice throughout the run of uh, Atlantis, you don't see Jason throw a kick. And only a trained martial artist who's had years and years and years of training and stretching and conditioning can throw a proper kick. So we focused on a different stylistic, you know, function, functionality. Um, uh, he had, a, I, I think he had broken his leg when he was younger playing hockey or something. So he, he had a bit of a, a, an injury. And Chris had, I think, shoulder issues from football and some other things. So we, you know, I really sort of played towards their strengths. But the thing that I always told the actors and the stunt people back then, the difference that you will see in the fights I was doing there, aside from the other fights, would be the timing and the aggression. Mm -hmm. So there's something that I like to call uh, one beat timing or full beat timing, which is to me the old school John Wayne cowboy fights. It's one, two, three, four. And what I would apply to uh, the fight sequences is, is called half beat timing. So it's ba -ba, ba -ba, ba -ba, ba -ba, ba -ba, ba that sort of thing. And that's what Chris hadn't done before essentially. So it was the same, I mean, the, the, the techniques weren't that much different uh, as far as the movements, but it was the applied timing that was different. Mm -hmm. So, and when you have Jason Momoa coming at you at full speed and he was in his twenties <laughs> at the time, um, you know, he's like a freight train <laughs> coming. So you better be ready, you know? And I would also, although the weapons were safe, um, I would also, uh, insist on them protecting themselves at all times. Even though you know the choreography, if you're ducking under something, you're really ducking. Mm -hmm. So I don't, you know, they're protecting each other, but a fight has to look like combat. So there's a lot, I see it in some choreography today and I see it in some of the performance today. If somebody's going, you know, taking a swing at their head, they'll swing up here and you can see it, it's an obvious intended miss which drives me nuts. And all the new young stunt guys uh, today know that that's a pet peeve of mine um, that'll, you know, set me off. So you have to force somebody to duck. It's their responsibility to duck. They know the choreography. We practice it slowly, slowly build up speed. Um, you, if you see they're not ducking, you, you know, pull back or, or what have you. But it has to look like you have no other choice but to deck. And uh, I taught this to the actors too and went through that and they were, I mean, you can see in that fight specifically, they're, they embraced it and uh, you don't see any hesitation or fear or any of that. They both looked like the warriors that they're you know, meant to be. And, and I wanted, you know, what Brad Wright said to me when I asked, you know, because I went into all your offices, I'm pretty sure, and said, who, who would win, you know, if this kept going? Because the fight is stopped short by Amanda Tapping, uh, who's uh, wonderful, who's now a director and as well and doing very well. Um, but I said, who would win? If this kept going, who would win? And Brad said, it's a tie. You know, right away, he said, it's a tie. We have to, for both shows' sake and everything, it's a tie. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. So I had to ensure that 
Tilk moved as, you know, he looked, he had to look as, um, as skillful as Ronan, um, so that it was believable that it would be a tie. So Chris worked not just with Jason, but he worked with me and he came in for not just that one rehearsal, but he came in for several rehearsals and I filmed, uh, rehearsals. And I think at the time, uh, with Firewire and mini DV, I would edit. You remember I did yeah. previous back then before it be, it's now a thing that's required, but I would, with Firewire would take forever and I'd edit the rehearsals and hand them on a CD or a, I'd burn a DVD and give them to the actors so that they could go home and, you know, go over it and go over it. And bless uh, Chris Judge, he worked really, really hard on that and he showed up prepared. And uh, when I was reviewing the fight last night, I was like, okay, because, you know, your, your, your work, the work that you've done years ago, you always feel like, oh, I've, you know, I've stepped it up and gone on and done, you know, everybody wants to do bigger and better things and that. But man, I tell you, they look fantastic. <laughs> like they, they, they look really good. I I was really proud of them when 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 I watched it and 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 uh, you know my my life is in little flashes of remember you know when I watch something like that I recall where I was standing you know I remember the set I remember the sound stage um, because we were there all the time uh, even you know Taylor was doing a lot of her sparring sequences with Ronan there and with, mm. with Joe. Uh, and uh, it, that had a lot of energy to it, especially the, the betting um, aspect of it, which was, which was a lot of fun. One of, the, one of the funnest parts about that fight was usually when you're putting together a fight sequence and I've always approached it like this, it's a story. It's part of the script. And up to that point, you know, as a stunt person, you'd show up on set and, Oh, hurry! We we have to run through the fight, and I'm like, "Isn't this in the script? Isn't this part of the story we're telling? Why are we rushing through this, and we're not rushing through that dialogue? This is a story. It's got a beginning, a middle, an end. Absolutely. And mm. you know, I I don't understand what the rush is. Is why should this look like shit? And sorry for swearing, but <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. But um, there's usually more of that. But uh, so what I I'd always have to do is, you know, tell the story. What's the beginning? So you have to start it out. What's the middle and what's the end of, of the mm. fight? In this particular case, we pick it up in mid fight, which was a lot of fun for me. So the momentum was already built up and, you know, the betting and everything was, was an added story to, to put into that and having, you know, the fight w wasn't very long in actuality and you were cutting away to Joe Flanagan and Amanda talking about it. And you can hear these clack, 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 clack sticks. The fight wasn't going on. It was, you know, it was, the fight was really like this long <laughs> and uh, they couldn't, you know, there was no way they would be able to do, what did, what did they say? Oh, they've been at it for hours for an hour or whatever yeah. he said. Yeah. And there's no way, like the, the rate that they were going <laughs> at, they would have, they would have passed out. That was so much fun. And it it still it does stand out to me as one of those you don't know because I hadn't worked with Chris a lot I had worked with Chris but in a different capacity mm -hmm. with the Braytac sort of his training sequences and and whatnot with that giant heavy freaking <laughs> Jafar thing yeah. yeah that staff which is not made to do anything with except look like a the thing weighed like a ton you couldn't get any speed out of it and. They'd hire me to be Braytech and move it like a staff, and they'd be like, you know. Presumably, presumably we had a we had a hero prop and we had a a rubber version, no? A giant heavy rubber version, <laughs> yes. That was <laughs> almost as heavy and awkward as the as the uh, hero prop. So it was mm -hmm. it wasn't built for speed. That thing it was uh, it was built to. I mean, it looked good when you pushed the odd but, trigger on it and right and, and shoot but as far as the hand-to-hand -hand stuff for it it was always a thorn in my side mm. um, so by the time we got to ronin um 
when we were designing his weapons, if you recall his gun and, you know, his sword and everything I got with James Robbins and, and really discussed the dimensions and we went in depth and, when he did those first drawings, that was me standing over his shoulder to basically go, okay, make it smaller. Give me that. Okay, the barrel has to be heavier so we can spin it. Um, and I got Jason with a Western gun spinning coach and, and myself so that we could do those cool, you know, remember he used to uh, yes. spin it. How long did it take um, him to learn the spin with the, uh, what did you say, a Western spinning coach? Yeah, Alex Green, who's now uh, deceased, he was the uh, founder of Stunts Canada, um, the stuntman's organization. And he came from Australia. He was a big fan of the old school Western, you know, Good, the Bad and the Ugly, Sergio Mm -hmm. Leone, all those sort of films that he grew up with in Australia. So he trained and trained and trained with some of the old masters uh, in Hollywood back in the day, that craft of spinning a gun. And I spent hours when I was a young stuntman in his office in Gastown in Vancouver, learning how to do this. I had band-aids on my fingers from doing this, which Momoa also did. And so I took him to school first with me, um, learning how to do it. And then I brought Alex in and mm-hmm. he went in a trailer and it was one afternoon. And he wow, amazing. got it. Wow. He was a natural though, he was a natural athlete. And, and, um, and Part of the great thing about that, we we set him up for success. The design of his gun was weighted specifically to spin. Mm-hmm. So it was exactly the right dimensions. You couldn't lose with it. Like he, and he would just sit there in his trailer and spin it and spin it and spin it. So we do things. Anytime we put together a sequence, I'd always say, okay, let's add, let's add some flash to this. Let's add, you know, some some flair. So we'd build the sequence and then start adding the flourishes um, mm-hmm. on top of it. And he got to the point where he could do it. He didn't even think about it. It was, it was natural. It was like blinking to him, which was, which was wonderful. And the advent of having, it was all visual effects as far as when he shot the thing. So all he had to do was point it. Didn't matter, you know, as long as the stunt guys that he was shooting reacted, um, the timing was, was a lot easier to work out that way um that was a that was a great uh a great creative uh outlet actually uh at the time because there wasn't a lot of allowances for that in town at the time most people were just you know the producers and the directors weren't as collaborative and they'd sort of go well we we just want this just go in the corner whereas uh all of you guys uh from brad and everybody um robert and yourself and paul and everybody martin garo and was just like yeah just make it cool just (laughs) whatever make it cool you know and uh that was the the mantra and uh, well, that's what it's made one, it a lot more fun. It's one thing I learned from Brad and Robert is to trust the people you work with. If they're really good at what they do, then you don't have to sort of stand over them and give them specifics. And then, you know, you were so always so great at what you did that we could always count on you to make it cool. You spoke earlier about how Chris had shoulder injuries and Jason you know, wasn't a trained martial artist, so he can throw, you know, a kick like one of them would. So is that where you bring in characters, different fighting styles? Is it obviously their natural ability? And then is there some sort of actor character work that goes along with that as well? Definitely. Um, I'd have a conversation with uh, Brad or whoever wrote the particular episode or sequence. And when we were designing Taylor, he, before Rachel was cast, I started discussing what I wanted to do with the character with 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 Brad Wright. Um, and then I think the first it was Martin Giro wrote the first episode that Taylor did some sparring. I think it was with uh, Joe Flanagan. Um, and he wrote in I, I started training her as soon as she arrived. I went to a trailer and I brought some Escrima sticks. It's a Filipino martial art. And I said, let's teach you this. I haven't seen this on, at the time, any TV show ever. Uh, again, Escrima is very half-beat timing. So, bah, 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 bah. so I started teaching her the, the, the sticks. And uh, then I went to Brad and said, okay. So I, I filmed her um, just practicing with me. And I said, look what she can do. And then Brad's like, 
that's cool. Okay. Yeah. I said, can we put it in an episode? And he's like, yep. And then, and then Martin Giro, I believe wrote it in and he said, Hmm, what am I going to call these sticks? Because they're what she used from her home planet. And he named them Bantos rods. And uh, I was like, Banto, where did you get that? Oh, that's cool, man. That's well, that's amazing. Where did you get it? He's like, I don't know. I just, Bantos. I just thought, I'd, you know, I just thought it would be fun, fun to call the Bantos rod. I said, oh, I thought it had something to do with you know Stargate mythology uh, somewhere. Um, and he's like, no, no, we. No. I just sort of just a nonsense word. And then um, those sticks became like the, you know, the standard. Signature. Yeah. And, and we developed that and I said, okay, so here comes Ronan, you know, in season two. And um, uh, we've got to sort of add him into the mix. What do we do here? We can't give him the same weapons. So we went with a shorter sword um, and uh, something that would be complementary to the, the Bantos rods. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. normally a single swiping a weapon like that is very difficult to compete against these these two weapons, which move like so. So I had to double up his timing with that single weapon to be able to keep up with her smaller, faster uh, weapons. And bless his soul, he was able to, from very slow on, his very first fight or sparring sequence he did, it it was remarkable. I, I just pushed them to the limit to try and get that in and it was like somewhat of an experiment actually. And uh, we were fortunate to have people like Jason who could um, actually perform what I was asking. And Uh like I said, it was fairly experimental at the time. So um, (laughs) it wasn't anything I had seen done to that at that point, um, especially on television. So what's up next for James Bam Bam Bamford? uh, I just finished a uh, directing an episode of Superman and Lois, uh, the new show, the new toy in the toy box. Uh-huh. And um, I've got a couple films um, with another couple. company, which, well, they're, I haven't shot them yet, but right. we've, we started prepping one of them right at the beginning of COVID in March. And then it's very hard to get an indie film off the ground with all of the extra costs incurred, uh, COVID testing and, mm-hmm. and safety and whatnot. It's, 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 it's a lot. Like I said, I, you know, your work on Stargate was amazing. And I am really happy that you are doing so well in your career. I mean, our mutual friend, Ivan Bartok, who was a special features producer on, on Stargate, would refer to certain people who work with as easy to root for, uh, meaning, you know, you are genuinely happy for their success because they are talented, good people. And that is you, my friend. I, you know, I, I wish you nothing you. but success. Thank you. And thank you again for you guys reached out to me when, when you were working in Toronto. Well, I think you're still in Toronto um, to come on your show. And I wasn't able to break away. You, you, well, from, you were, your hands were full. From Arrow. Yeah, I, I tried. Like, I was like, hey, can I? go play over there with my friends <laughs> and they're like absolutely not um <laughs> but i would have lied it made me feel so great and i would have loved to come so we we still have to do that eventually um, yes but uh thanks for having me on the show i've been tracking uh, both of you guys as well and uh, it was a lot of fun take care bye So thanks for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to give us a rate and review. It really helps new fans find us, unless it's a bad rate and review, in which case, keep it to yourself. There's no point both of us being disappointed. Uh, You can find Joe on Twitter at Baron Destructo. I have to ask, why Baron Destructo? Because he's a villain. He's a villain. I mean, everything uh, about me is villainous, from the suits (laughs) I wear to my uh, Mysterio avatar. (laughs) I don't think it's a particularly villainous shirt you're wearing today. I think this is a very... A well, very I'm not... I, I'm, I'm sort of more casual uh, villain, villain-esque today. <laughs> and you also have your blog, josephmalozzi.com. Yes. Again, this goes back to how I don't know how you have time to do everything because there's a post every single day and you're working on a new rule of shows and I don't know how you manage it. I neither do I, to be honest with you. <laughs> it's, it's the shot of whiskey. <laughs> That's it. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the secret sauce. You can also follow the companion at the companion app on all the socials. Thanks Anything for coming. Thanks for coming. Yeah.